Thank you for listening to the Maranatha Fellowship Podcast. We hope this message will inspire, challenge, and encourage you to grow closer to Christ. If you're in the Anchorage area, we invite you to be our guest during our morning Sunday worship service at 11 a.m. For directions, or if you would like more information about us, please visit akmaranatha.com. These stories in the Bible are God's way to give us wisdom to live for Him. And uh, they've been instructions for the people of God for, for 3,000 years now. Uh, this uh, story is one of Israel's kings. It's, it's nearly uh, 3,000 years old. In fact, we know the year. The year is 931 B.C. I don't know that you can find too many dates in the Bible that you know the, you know the year. But if that places it for us in history, it helps us to know that this wisdom or the wisdom that we get from this foolishness is, is old and uh, it's something that we should appreciate. These are enduring truths which are relevant for every generation, and that includes our generation. Have we gotten too sophisticated to listen to the Word of God and to receive instructions from it? I, I hope not. I hope we haven't gotten too tech-savvy to think that these, oh, this old wisdom no longer applies to us. These are enduring truths because human nature is the same as it's always been. Uh, the story has something to say about wisdom. I thought we might take a few moments just to read through uh, verses 1 through 24, and I'll give you the, a little bit of the background here. The background is that, of course, uh, the first king of Israel is King Saul, and then uh, Saul and his failure was rejected by God, and then somebody else became king in Saul's place. Who was it? David. And David had a son whose name was Solomon, and Solomon, when he, when he passed, his, he passed on the kingdom to a son named Rehoboam. Rehoboam. So Rehoboam is the son of Solomon, and uh, let's uh, read this story here, and we'll talk about it in a little bit of detail. Rehoboam went to Shechem, for all Israel had gone there to make him king. When Jeroboam, son of Nebat, heard this, he was still in Egypt where he had fled from King Solomon. He returned from Egypt, and so they sent for Jeroboam, and he and the whole assembly of Israel went to Rehoboam and said to him, Your father put a heavy yoke on us, but now lighten the harsh labor and the heavy yoke he put on us, and we will serve you. Rehoboam answered, Go away for three days, and then come back to me. And so the people went away. Then King Rehoboam consulted the elders who had served his father Solomon during his lifetime. How would you advise me to answer these people, he asked. And they replied, If today you will be a servant to the people and serve them and give them a favorable answer, they will always be your servants. There's a, a verse in the New Testament that talks about submitting ourselves to one another. And that's the kind of thing that the, the wise men are advising Rehoboam to do. Verse 8. But Rehoboam rejected the advice of the elders, the, the elders gave him, and consulted the young men who had grown up with him, and we're serving him. He asked them, what is your advice? How should I answer these people who say to me, lighten the yoke your father put on us? The young men who had grown up with him replied, these people have said to you, your father's put a heavy yoke on us, but make our yoke lighter. Now tell them my little finger is thicker than my father's waist. My father laid on you a heavy yoke. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. 
Three days later, Jeroboam and all the people returned to Rehoboam the king and said, Come back to me in three days. The king answered the people harshly, rejecting the advice given to him by the elders. He followed the advice of the young men and said, My father made your yoke heavy. I will make it even heavier. My father scourged you with whips. I'll scourge you with scorpions. So the king did not listen to the people, for this turn of events was from the Lord to fulfill the word the Lord had spoken to Jeroboam, son of Nebat, Nebat through Ahijah the Shilonite. When all Israel saw that the king refused to listen to them, they answered the king, What share do we have in David? What part in Jesse's son? To your tents, Israel, look after your own house, David. So the Israelites went home. But as for the Israelites who were living in the towns of Judah, Rehoboam still ruled over them. King Rehoboam sent out Adoniram, who was in charge of the forced labor, but all Israel stoned him to death. King Rehoboam, however, managed to get into his chariot and escape to Jerusalem. Uh, so Israel had been in rebellion against the house of David to this day. When all the Israelites heard that Jeroboam had returned, they sent and called him to the assembly and made him king over all Israel. Only the tribe of Judah remained loyal to the house of David. When Rehoboam arrived in Jerusalem, he mustered all of Judah and the tribe of Benjamin, 180,000 able men to go to war against Israel and to regain the kingdom for Rehoboam, son of Solomon. But this word of God came to Shemaiah, the man of God, say to Rehoboam, son of Solomon, king of Judah, to all Judah and Benjamin and to the rest of the people, this is what the Lord says, do not go up to fight against your brothers, the Israelites. Go home, every one of you, for this is my doing. And so they obeyed, they obeyed the word of the Lord and went home as the Lord had ordered. And then the story goes on and it gets sadder, of course, but Rehoboam was the son of Solomon. And it might be good to know a little bit of the background. David helped to establish Israel as strong by defeating Israel's enemies. In 2 Samuel chapter 7, verse 1, it says that God gave, uh, God gave David rest from all of his enemies on every side. Solomon then helped to see Israel become prosperous by building Israel's trade in 1 Kings chapter 4. So the kingdom that's handed down to Rehoboam is a prosperous kingdom. He received a kingdom which God had built through David and Solomon. Solomon had established an aggressive program to build the nation's infrastructure, which included building the temple. He not only inherited that blessing, those blessings, but he also, just as we do, inherit some problems. He got the blessings, but he also got some problems that came along with this, because for all of Solomon's wisdom, Solomon wasn't devoted to the Lord with all of his heart the way that David was. Second Kings chapter six, verse excuse me, chapter eleven, verse six. Solomon built the temple in Jerusalem, but you know that in addition to building the temple, he also built shrines to other gods, the gods of the many wives that he had married. And so there was the Lord's rebuke that came later in life. In 1 Kings chapter 11, verse 10 through 13, it says, Although God had forbidden Solomon to follow other gods, Solomon did not keep the Lord's command. And so the Lord said to Solomon, Since this is your attitude, and you've not kept my covenant, my decrees, which I commanded you, I will most certainly tear the kingdom away from you and give it to one uh, of your subordinates. Nevertheless, for the sake of David, your father, 
I'll not do it in your lifetime. I'll tear it out of your hand, the hand of your son. Yet I will not tear the whole kingdom from him, but will give him one tribe for the sake of David, my servant, for the sake of Jerusalem, which I have chosen. So Rehoboam inherits a kingdom with power and prosperity, but also with problems. There were fractures on the inside. And so he's dealing with some of these things as he comes into his reign in 931 B.C. And the question then becomes, what do you what do you do with your inheritance? Do you use it wisely or do you squander it? So I think that's probably true in the lives of many who've grown up in Christian homes, that sadly there are some that have had a great Christian heritage and, and then they get out into the world and on their own and they squander that. And that's tragic. Not, now, just to be fair, every family has problems, even good Christian families. Right? Is that true? Or are we talking about other people who live in other states far from here? Uh, I think it's probably true that every uh, family, even ones that are trying to follow God, that there are, there are problems that you work through. Every human institution is prone to some kind of problems. And so this is what Rehoboam inherited. And so he goes to his peers. They're, they're, the question then becomes from the people, are you going to continue to let this this stringent uh, taxation continue? Are you going to continue to uh, lay down the hammer, lay down the law, and, and force labor? What are you going to do with this situation, Rehoboam? And so he goes to find some counsel on this. And, and this may be the one good thing that he does. He, he finds counsel. Okay, He doesn't listen to the right counsel, but at least he asked for it, which is better than some. Right? At least he asked for it. But some don't even ask for it. And they, so he he seeks counsel. He he gets conflicting advice from the elders. The Bible mentions that he goes to the elders. These are the people that would have advised Solomon. Now, I want you to notice something about that, that Solomon, who's supposed to be the wisest man who ever lived apart from Jesus, he needs advisors. He has advisors. And so to say, well, I'm so wise, I don't need anybody to advise me, I think is foolish. Okay, so he has advisors. And then Rehoboam, when he becomes king, he goes to those advisors. It talks about them being elders, and it uses a certain Hebrew word that suggests that they're older in age. Okay, and then he also goes to the young men. And this uh, Hebrew word literally means children. They were children. Now, the Rehoboam didn't ask literal children what to do, but these were people that grew up with him. These were people that he'd known since childhood. And what I think is happening here in verse 8 is that by calling them children, the Bible is underlining how radically different his counselors were. On one side, the old and the experienced, and on the other side, the young and the inexperienced. Can I point out something that I think we should all be aware of in our day, is that we have in our culture uh, a bias against age and being old. If you call somebody old, that's an insult. Don't call me old. I want to suggest to you the Bible doesn't see it that way. That's not the biblical worldview. The biblical worldview talks about gray hair being a crown of glory. Okay? So we need to we need as Christians to change our thinking on that. That we've gotten we've bought into this idea that that new is always improved and it's not. That uh, there's something to be said for age and for wisdom. There are problems that go along with getting older. I played a video game the other day, and I'm sore from it. Okay, 
So I, I know that's, that's part of the problem is that we understand there, there are problems that go with that. But one of the things that is really a benefit to the body of Christ, and I'm thankful for a multi-generational church, is that there's wisdom that comes from, with age. Now, not everybody who's old is wise, but it seems that the Scripture is saying that that's usually the case unless there's some terrible reason, right? That age and wisdom ought to go together. So I, I wanted to encourage us here. This is the problem is that you have these two radically different kind of counselors that Rehoboam goes to. On one side, the old and the experienced. On the other side, the young and the inexperienced. And these young counselors give different advice than the old counselor. The old counselor says, hey, maybe it's time to lighten the load. Maybe it's time to let up a little bit. And the young guys say, no, let's... Uh, Let's let's lay down the law. In fact, let's make it even more so. I, I don't know what the case is with this. Maybe the young lacked experience in diplomacy or because they were really ambitious, they were looking for a better position for themselves. So increase taxation, increase conscription, whatever it was, the young didn't give good advice. And that's the advice that Rehoboam sadly listened to. In fact, they were pretty nasty. It doesn't come through in our English translation but the comparison that they want him to make with Solomon was pretty crude. And so uh, Rehoboam doesn't say that part, but it's in there, and, and yet he follows their advice. So I, I wanted to say this, that, that being old or young is neither bad nor good. It's just a fact. People can be old fools, and some can have wisdom beyond their years, but, but usually wisdom grows with experience because Age has seen the good and the bad, and it has perspective. It measures life differently. It knows heartbreak, and it knows joy. It understands what's enduring and what's passing. It knows what's important in different stages of life. I was thinking about this kind of principle one time, and it occurred to me, when I was a little boy, I liked to play baseball in the summertime, and uh, I mean, we were so serious about baseball, we played it every day, and if you had a baseball game, the coach said you can't go swimming because swimming apparently knocks you out of being able to play baseball really good when you're a kid. So no swimming on game days, and we're pumped up about it. We got our stirrups on. We look so cool as little kids playing baseball in the Kansas summer. And uh, I remember thinking it's game day. We've got to win this game. And, you know, my mood r- rose or fell on whether we won I thought if we lost that baseball game, that Little League baseball game, that was the end of the world. And the reason for that kind of thinking was because that baseball game is the biggest thing I'd ever seen. You know, that's kind of sad, isn't it, now to think about it? But when you're a little kid, that's a big deal. Like, if I lose this, what does that say about me and all of that? And I'm not trying to get into the area where everybody gets a trophy and all of that. But... That's the kind of thinking that it was, like, oh, if we lose this, that's the big deal. But it was because of an experience. And I've realized since then, I haven't thought much about Little League Baseball and all the games we lost. I did notice that I always got on teams that alternating years we either a third place out of four or fourth place out of four. So I don't know if they did some kind of draft and put me on that team intentionally or what. There, The jury's still out on that one. When we get to heaven, I'm going to find that out. 
why I ended up on those teams. Anyway, all of that to say that I lacked perspective on things. We know God puts us in situations where there are people that have gone down the road before us, and they can give us wisdom. There's this song that I used to listen to. It was a country song. Can you believe that? That uh, people listen to country music out there. Don't raise your hand if you're a fan. This is uh, called The Walk by Sawyer Brown. Maybe you've heard it. Uh, And I I thought it really kind of demonstrates how wisdom comes from having that experience already that you can pass on to others that haven't. Down our long, dusty driveway, I didn't want to go. But I set out with tears in my eyes wondering. Daddy took me by the hand. He looked down at the sc- out at the school bus and his little man and said, don't worry, boy, it'll be all right. Because I took this walk. You're walking now, boy. I've been in your shoes. You can't hold back the hand of time. It's something that you've got to do. So dry your eyes. I understand just what you're going through because I took this same walk with my old man, boy. I've been in your shoes. I think that kind of describes what it means to have wisdom and to look to somebody who's been down the road they can tell you it feels like a big deal to get on the school bus for the first time. But I've been there, and you'll get through this. See, age gives perspective on what's important and what works and what doesn't. And and usually age brings with it the accumulative wisdom of others who went before them. Like this dad in the song says, I took this same walk with my dad, and he probably took the same walk with his dad. And so you know that it's going to be okay because this wisdom has accumulated and have been passed on from one generation to another. And uh, we know what works and what doesn't work. It gives us a cumulative wisdom of others who went before us. And some of that wisdom has been purchased with pain. Some people can tell us, don't go down that road because I've been down that road and it hurts. So as uh, Rehoboam was trying to make a wise decision, he didn't listen to the counselors who had wisdom. He didn't listen to those who had experience. He listened to his peers. And I, you know, as a teenager, sometimes you thought, I thought, my parents were so dumb. They didn't, they lost touch. I know that sounds crude, but they lost touch with the real world. They didn't know what the real world was like because they lived in a different world. They, they were teenagers back in the 50s. The world was so different back then. What do they know? And it turns out they, know, they knew a lot. They knew exactly what was going on. And so Solomon passed on wisdom of some kind to Rehoboam, but he chose not to follow it. He had his advisors, but he chose not to listen to them. And what were the results of that? It was harm to the kingdom of God. See, when Rehoboam chose not to listen to the elders and he chose to listen to his peers, it split the nation of Israel. It split a nation. It split the kingdom of God. Think about the witness that was to the nations around them. Think about what that means to when people look into the church and they see how divided we are what kind of message that sends and what kind of message it must have sent to the Canaanites and the people like the Philistines and others around them that you guys are trying to follow God and you can't even get along. What's the deal with that? There's harm to the kingdom of God. It brought division. We have to be careful about what counselors we listen to. 
The second result was the loss of wealth and military might. And this was all the good that he inherited. David built up a military powerhouse. Solomon inherited that and mostly mostly was a man of peace. And uh, he built up the economics of Israel. So if you look at it this way, what Rehoboam inherits is both military might and national wealth. And what is he going to do with that? Well, it's not enough. It's not enough. So he, he foolishly squanders that. And the interesting thing is you would think that all of the power and all of the wealth would go with the southern kingdom, the, the throne of David, but actually the reverse happened. Jeroboam with the ten tribes in the north, he took the wealth. He had the king's highway. He had all of the relationships that he could have with other nations like Egypt and nations that were surrounding. He was able to, to, uh, uh, to trade with them. And uh, he had a stronger, Jeroboam had a stronger military, so Rehoboam lost all of that. And even if you take them individually, they're, they're far less powerful together and far less prosperous together, uh, far more prosperous and powerful together than they would be apart. But he lost all of that. And then he brought shame on himself and his family. Do you remember the words that Israel said to Rehoboam when they departed? What do we have to do with you? House of Jesse. You, David, can worry about yourself. So the shame doesn't just fall on Rehoboam, which he had to eat crow a little bit, but it also fell upon his father and uh, his father before him. There's two explanations about why this happened. There's the why and the how. The why is that though Israel looked good on the outside, they were dealing with spiritual problems on the inside. And so some will argue that Rehoboam only fulfilled what God promised would happen to David or Solomon for their disobedience. And there's some truth to that, but while that may be true, the division of Israel uh, happens also, the how is that Rehoboam still is viewed as responsible before God for making the foolish decision. I think what this passage wants to do is to highlight for us where wisdom can be found and where it's not found. Who are you going to listen to? Who, who are we going to listen to when it comes to the advice that we need for living life? Notice uh, the sad part about Rehoboam's life is that he's the son of the wisest man in the Old Testament, and he refused to listen to wisdom. Isn't that ironic? The Bible hits us hard with irony sometimes, and this is one of those places. The son of the wisest man to, to live in the Old Testament, apart from Jesus, makes a big foolish mistake that splits the kingdom. That's irony for you. He refused to listen to wisdom. Solomon's son listened to his friends rather than those whom he should have trusted. And that's, that's foolish. Rehoboam is the opposite to Abraham Lincoln. Okay? Lincoln held together a nation in crisis. Rehoboam split a nation that was united. Think of that. This is the, the sadness of, can you imagine what would happen if our country were split? We would think whoever did that was the worst leader that we ever had. I'm not talking about split along. I'm talking about literally split into two different countries. We would think that was a terrible leader, and that's what Rehoboam gets for his foolishness. If only, if only there had been some kind of warning, right? Sometimes we think these things come upon us without any warning. But usually, I've found in life there's some kind of 
uh, encouragement or challenge from parents that has preceded this or a warning from a friend that says don't go down that road or scripture tells us in some way that we're not to follow that particular path. But then when we find ourselves stuck because of some foolishness on our part, we look around for somebody to blame. Like, how come nobody told me? Where was the warning? If only there were some kind of warning. We're watching one of these true crime shows the other day. Um, does anybody watch those or you're willing to admit it? Okay, don't raise a hand. But we were watching one of these shows the other day, and uh, they always have this music in the background that tells you what mood you're supposed to have. Anybody know what I'm talking about? The mood is di- dictated by the music. I found, I don't know if you found this, but I found that scary shows are not as scary if you turn the, that music down. Just watch what's happening. Anyway, that's a tip for another time. But there's this uh, music playing in the background. It tells you what emotions you should have. And uh, we like to watch with the captions on. And so uh, the caption came up, foreboding music. Foreboding is telling us now what the music sounds like in addition to that so we know how we're supposed to feel. And uh, the victim's getting ready to do something foolish, like going to the basement, you know, where you're not supposed to go. And so I said to Janie, can't they hear the foreboding music? Don't they know there's the music is telling don't do that and uh, uh, don't go in the basement. Wish we had some council music like which cues us into danger. If only there was something like foreboding music that could tell us this path is dangerous. And I think that's where council comes in is that good council can serve as foreboding music in our lives. God's told us to seek counsel, and you know there's danger in not seeking the counsel of others. This is one of the ways that God guides us. He can He can speak to us directly, and He He does at times speak to us directly. We'll have the prompting of the Holy Spirit, or uh, I don't know if you've had the elusive audible voice in your life or not, um, but He can speak to us in many ways, but we're not to discount the wisdom of others. God's given us the wisdom of others in our lives to help us to see the dangers that are ahead. Uh, he's told He's told us to seek counsel, and and uh, we want the we want the mystical and the spectacular, and we want to have that direct relationship with God, and that that's all that's all good. But it's not the only way He speaks. I want you to consider some examples from Scripture. Abraham was a friend of God. Do you agree with that? The Bible talks about him being a friend of God. Okay, But you know that uh, it was Sarah that told him, you need to get rid of Hagar and Ishmael. And Abraham wasn't didn't like that too much, but he went and he talked to God about it. And God said, she's right. She's right. He was counseled through his wife that you're, guys, I'm sorry. Sometimes she's right. Right? Well, there's lots of elbows flying now. Sarah gave him the counsel to send Ishmael away. Moses talked face-to-face with God, but it was his father-in-law that gave him the advice to get some help, the 70 elders. And his father-in-law, maybe not even as close to God as Moses is. Do you know sometimes God can speak from surprising places and tell us truth? Like Balaam probably didn't expect his donkey to talk. 
And you know that there are times that children can say some really wise things. David was a man after God's own heart, but the rascally Joab is the one who gave him advice after the death of Absalom. Go out and greet your men and tell them thank you for fighting on your behalf. All he wanted to do was cry about his lost son. And Joab's the one that sometimes comes in and gives us shocking moments of wisdom. And he's a rascal. John the Baptist reached out to Jesus. He had already said, behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sins of the world. And then when he gets thrown into the jail by Herod, he sends his disciples to ask Jesus, are you the one to come or should we expect somebody else? I, I thought things would look different here. He reaches out for counsel. And, of course, it's a very wise counsel to ask of Jesus. And Paul and Peter both were men of God, but they sought the counsel of the church about Gentile circumcision. So being spiritual doesn't mean we only hear directly from God. We also hear from others. We need one another. We need the wisdom of others. Consider some other facts before we uh, go down our around our final corner here. The delivery of the message of God in both Old and New Testament comes through prophets and apostles. How do people normally come to know Jesus? Somebody tells them the story about what Jesus did and what it means to them. And so God communicates to others through people. He's chosen that way. I'm uh, amazed by it because we don't always do it the best. Like I think more people would come to Christ if God uh, sent Jesus as a you know, an apparition, or actually he appears in their room, and then they, they turn to him. But that's not his chosen method. His chosen method is through people like us sharing the gospel with others, human to human, experience of humanity to experience of humanity. I know where I've been. I've been where you've been, and I've received Jesus, and now I'm here. And we can, we can speak to that. And so God uses that way of communicating. He also uses teachers and parents to pass on uh, doctrinal teaching about what God is like. This is talking about after people have come to faith. There are teachers within the church that teach this is what the Christian life should look like. Parents do this. God doesn't raise every child by himself. He puts them in families where parents can pass wisdom for better or worse. Right? Sometimes parents give bad advice. But usually, having been down the road, they know the very best thing to do. Right? We have the witness to the will of God through the apostles in the New Testament. That's the teaching of Scripture. And then we have the, the gifts of the Spirit through the church. I think this is important to say is that sometimes when we hear gifts of the Holy Spirit, like the charismatic gifts, we think those gifts are for us. But actually, the way that these are used is their gifts through us. Okay, so think about this for a moment. When it talks about a word of knowledge or a word of wisdom, is it just that you receive that, or is that word through you to somebody else? Prophecy, is that just for you, or is it through you to somebody else? Gifts of healings. God doesn't just give you the gift of healing. He's giving that gift through you to somebody else. So this is, this is often how God works, and when it comes to wisdom, uh, he uses other people to bring us into the wisdom of following him. 
seems that God will not let us be alone as mavericks in the kingdom of God. Now, when you think of maverick, you probably think of Top Gun if you're older like me, right? I didn't I know this. I was looking up the definition of the word maverick, and I found out the interesting backstory on that. Does anybody know the backstory on that? Just raise your hand. You don't have to tell it. Where the word maverick comes from? Maverick comes from this guy in the 1800s, a Texas rancher, who decided he wasn't going to brand his cattle. And everybody else said, oh, that guy's just a maverick. And that term came into being. Somebody who's going to be unconventional, unorthodox, uh, a nonconformist, I'm not going to do what everybody else is doing. I'm not going to listen to what anybody else has to say. I'm doing my own thing. And that sounds, maverick sounds a little bit like a positive term. Like that's Texas or American independence. You know, we're independent. We don't need anybody. But that was a derogatory term, and I'm using it in a derogatory way. That to be a maverick in the kingdom of God cuts us off from wisdom. We need the wisdom of God. We need the wisdom of one another. We need one another. We're members of one another, Romans 12, 4 says. We need one another, 1 Corinthians 12, 21. The eye cannot say to the hand because you're not an eye. I don't need you. We need each other. No one is the body of Christ by themselves. No one can be a symphony by themselves. Right? We need one another. And probably in your blind spot, there's somebody else you can see clearly because they've been on the road. They know what it is that's needed in that scenario. We may be strong in some areas. We're not strong in every area. But somebody else in the body of Christ is strong in that area. And if we've got one another's back, we can work together and we can be better together. And this is how we're supposed to grow. It's the way we grow up. Ephesians 4, 9 through 16 talks about how God has given through Christ gifts to the church. And it talks about the apostles and prophets and uh, evangelists and pastors and teachers. And then the one another portion of that, as each part does its work, we all grow up into him who is the head so that there's no, there's no mavericks in the kingdom of God. Samuel A. Maverick is his name, if you wanted to know. We should uh, not be like him. Who should we seek as counselors? I think we need to seek people who are biblically minded. Biblically minded. A person who is biblically minded will have wisdom which is granted and not just wisdom that had to have been experienced. It's good and bad experiences. Do you know the Bible has good and bad examples? If you're biblical, you don't have to go through the pain of trusting in your friends over your parents because you can hear this story and know that's not a good idea. So it's been granted to us pain-free. Isn't that nice? To have it pain-free. I mean, there's another route we can take. That's not fun, and you can get a similar kind of wisdom, but we need we need to hear what God has to say so we can be biblically minded. Then I think uh, we should seek out the aged and the experienced. Those who've, who've been where you are, they've been there. Uh, so they've been where you are, but you've not been where they are. And so they offer the kind of perspective which sees things in proportion. You know, uh, sometimes there's that there's that uh, saying, uh, don't cry over. Okay, so if you're a little kid and that's your milk, that's not a good day. 
But mom knows, hey, there's more milk in the fridge, and we've got we've got Downy or Brawny. And we're gonna, brown, Donnie, D- Donnie, don't use that. Use the brawny. It's the, I think it's the, the one that soaks up more. Okay, that's, I'm getting royalties from them today. <laughs> she can sweep that stuff up and we can be on our way. We're back in business again. Buddy, you don't have to cry over spilled milk because it's not the end of the world. Right? And so there's perspective and age and experience. And then, the Bible talks about uh, looking for much counsel. So I would encourage us, if we're looking for wisdom, don't just ask one person. Ask multiple people. Okay? Um, Proverbs chapter four, 11, verse 14 says, For lack of guidance, a nation falls, but victory is won through many advisors. Proverbs 14, uh, or 15, 22, Plans fail for lack of counsel, but with many advisors they succeed. It's good. We don't have to listen to the advice of every person, and sometimes you'll get conflicting viewpoints. But what you've done is gotten outside of our own thinking, and we've gotten into the thinking of what others would do, and it presents us with more options and better options often because sometimes people think of things that we don't think of. Have you ever been amazed when you come into a room at how people can interpret the same event so differently? If you're watching a basketball game and you're rooting for one team and it looks like the ball goes off of them and out of bounds, you're like, that definitely went off the other team. The other person's rooting for them. No, that definitely went off that team. You can hear it in the crowd. There's difference of opinion on that. But all of that to say that there are differing opinions and different viewpoints and having the perspective of others helps us to have a broader scope from which to make the decision. And then I would suggest that we find counselors that have already made good decisions in their lives. Don't find the, the person who's always made terrible decisions and go, what would you do on this? And then trust in what they have to say and go down that road. What's that? Yeah, or, yes, there you go. Ask them what they have to say and do the opposite. Maybe that's the right thing to do. <laughs> So then once we've received that wisdom, it's good to be weighed. Wisdom is not imperatives. It's not. It's trying to make the best of a situational, um, certain situation. Uh, It's not imperative, so you don't have to receive that wisdom. But then once you've heard the advice of others, then you decide with God's help what's, what's the wise thing to do. What's the wise thing to do? What's going to be the best thing to do? And one thing that's going to stand in the way of that, if we let it, is our emotions. It'd be like, this is not the decision I want to make. If you can learn to be objective and get outside of your emotions and say, even though I don't like it, this is the best decision, then you'll go much further with the wisdom others have to offer. And let me suggest to you finally here that one of the greatest counselors, the greatest counselor we can have, is the wisdom of Jesus. He gives us wisdom. There is a wiser than Solomon. And if there's a wiser than Solomon, there's a wiser than Rehoboam, right? And that's Jesus. A wiser than Solomon is here, he said. He says at the end of the Sermon on the Mount, whoever hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house upon the rock. When the storm comes, that house survives. There's wisdom in following Jesus. Wisdom is designed to be passed down as an inheritance. 
and I think it should be, I think the Christian way of thinking about this ought to be, it's the most significant part of inheritance that we can leave the next generation. It shows how life is to be lived for God. And I can't help but think what a different time this might have been if people listened to the Bible and the wisdom of parents, if they listened to the wisdom of parents and grandparents rather than thinking, well, we know better, we're more sophisticated. We've got psychology now, so we know human nature better than they did. That's not true. Theodore Dalrymple, who's a psychiatrist in Britain, he says that we don't know any more about human nature than Shakespeare did in his day. I mean, you can take it in a lab and find out certain things, but he said, we've really not found out anything that's new about human nature. It's the same as it's always been. And so we can know whom to trust and and what's good for life based upon the wisdom of those that have gone before us. They're not as foolish as we think or we have thought. Yeah, there's advances in science, but morality hasn't changed. And human nature has not changed. And we are where we are because we've turned away from the truth. There's an Arab proverb which says, men resemble their times more than their fathers. Which is to say that we let the time shape us more than legacy. But it doesn't, it doesn't have to be that way. No one wants to be out of step with the times. If you're considered old-fashioned or old school, you're thought of as outdated. And we think it's one of the worst things which can be said about us, but it's not. The worst thing that can be said about us is depart from me. I've, I never knew you. A word that's going to be spoken to many who went with their times on the broad road to destruction. We don't need to be intentionally antiquated either. We don't have to be old-fashioned just to be old-fashioned. We need to be intentionally wise. And if the times uh, have left it behind and our peers don't know wisdom, we better not go that way. We should stand at the crossroads. We should look for the ancient paths and walk in them. We should ask wise counselors, which road should we go down? We should listen to moms and to dads, and we'll be better off for it. Rehoboam didn't do that. I don't know where the wisdom went from Solomon, but it wasn't passed to a son. And he made a foolish decision, and he split the kingdom, and that's his legacy. That's his legacy. In fact, uh, later on, because his kingdom was weak, the Egyptian uh, king Shishak came in and sacked Jerusalem and took away all that was valuable. And you know what Rehoboam did? He made replicas, but they were made of cheap metal. And that's what you get when you don't listen to wisdom, is you get a secondary kind of life. Fabricated, fake, not as good as it could have been. But wisdom will help us to live God's very best. Amen. Let's stand. Thanks for your gracious attention today. Amen. I, part of this message is really a walking message. It's like this, that we need to decide in our lives if we want to follow wisdom or just follow our own heart or own thinking on all of this. And if we've decided we want wisdom, then outside of this room, beyond this moment, we should seek out counsel from people who will give us wise direction in life.
so that that's part of it. It's going to have to go beyond this, but there's a part of it that we can do here, and that's that if anyone lacks wisdom, they should ask of God, and he gives liberally to all, and he doesn't find fault. If you need wisdom, God's the God of wisdom. The Spirit of God is a spirit of wisdom, and he'll help us to be wise. He can help us to be wise beyond our years, but we're going to need it in today's world because our world has gone absolutely crazy. We don't even know who we are anymore. We've lost our identity. We're inventing ourselves based upon what we think is going on on the inside rather than the outside. We've divorced true identity from objective fact. And the reason for that is that we've forsaken wisdom and we followed after some other empty promise. Today, can we come back to wisdom? Let's take a moment and bow our heads. Maybe there's some who are listening today, either online or here in this place. You've never, you've never said to Jesus, I've made a mess of things. I've sinned against you. You've never said to the Lord, forgive me. Be merciful to me, a sinner. Would you take this broken life and make it into something beautiful? Christ died for our sins. And he didn't just die for our sins to to leave us in a broken state, but he makes he makes beauty from ashes. He makes all things new. He restores those that have been broken. The Bible says that if anyone's in Christ, they're part of the new creation. The old passes away. The new has come. But it comes from a place of surrender where we stop leaning upon our own wisdom and we start trusting in His. The Bible says that if we'll trust in the Lord with all of our heart and not lean on our own understanding, but instead acknowledge Him, He'll make our paths straight. He'll direct our course. He'll make our lives pleasing to Him. And so there needs to be a moment where we say to Jesus, be merciful to me. I'm trusting in your your sacrifice for me and your forgiveness. Take this life and make it what you will. We leave it with him. We, we trust him with it and we start to walk his way. We, we live as followers of Jesus. And that will be a way of wisdom. And if you've never done that, just say today to the Lord, and if you want to, God, would you be merciful to me, a sinner? Be merciful to me today, a sinner. And I want you to have, have my life. I'm offering you my life. And God will do something incredible with that. If today you're here with uh, an issue of I need wisdom in my life, I want to invite you to come to the altar if you'd like to or a prayer at your seat. Take a moment and seek the wisdom of God before we go. Let's ask him. Maybe you need some accountability in your life. Maybe you need some people that can stand around you and help you. That's what the church is for. And it's good. There are good people here. There are wise people here who've been down the road. And they know the troubles of life and they know the joys of life and they can speak wisdom into your situation. And so maybe as you're praying, you should ask the Lord, God, who would be somebody good that I can reach out to? Who would fit the bill for the wisdom that's needed? 
and he can answer you on that. But man, the greatest thing would be for God just to pour wisdom into your life. Amen. May God give us wisdom today. Father, we thank you for the way that you've uh, arranged things so that we might uh, live wise lives, Lord, and not make the foolish mistakes others have. We thank you for your scripture that warns us ahead of time and and gives wisdom to us. And we thank you for those that you've put into our lives that can speak wisdom to us as well. We're asking, Lord, that you help us to be people who make good choices in terms of how to live for you. And uh, we're just praying, Lord, for your blessing upon this word. May it be upon our hearts this week as we think about the decisions that we have to make and, and how best to live for you in this world, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. God bless you. May we go with God and his help to be wise. Thank you for joining us today. If this ministry has impacted you, we would love to hear about it. You're welcome to message us at akmaranatha.com forward slash contact or message us on Facebook at Maranatha Full Gospel Fellowship. We pray you are blessed by the message and have a wonderful week.